So how was your journey into worship this morning? Did any of you come upon any road construction or detours while you were driving to the church building this morning? Any, any traffic delays? How about that one red light that just seemed to take forever to change to green? You know that one. It's always there. Anybody encounter that light on their way to church? No? How about when you tried to walk into the auditorium? Any, any change of plans there or an unexpected detour maybe? Yeah. I bet you're probably wondering, why all this wandering? I'm just trying to get to my seat. And I know we didn't make it real easy on you this morning, and partly I apologize, but I'm also glad that most of you didn't grumble or complain about it much. (laughs) Let me tell you, it's not always easy leading people sometimes, especially when they have a routine. And for Moses, leading Israel was no no, no exception to that thought. I'm sure that that probably for Moses from time to time, he thought that leading the nation of Israel was a lot like herding cats. Moses had over three million kids on a road trip. (laughs) Yeah, you think junior high road trips are bad. (laughs) He basically had three million kids on a road trip. I know there were adults and, 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 and families, but it seemed like every time he turned around, they were complaining about something and asking, are we there yet? Pretty much every step of the way. You know, the hard thing about road trips, especially with little kids, is, is just that. It's, it's the fussing and the, the fighting and the endless questioning and the, he's breathing my air, she's touching my stuff. Just imagine that multiplied by three million people. Another hard thing about road trips is taking a wrong turn and, and getting off course of where your destination is. And I know most of us men in here, that's never happened. Um, I, I do recall one time when I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail with somebody and we actually hiked a mile and a half in the wrong direction and then realized it. <laughs> so we counted that as a three-mile addition to our hike. Uh, <laughs> we get off course sometimes. And, and you know, every, every journey, every road trip, it includes the destination. Not just the trip itself. Not just, just you know, kind of going from A to B. There's always the destination. And, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful and I shared this with you in the past that I've not been a good map reader. Actually, until just about six or eight months ago, I never knew how to read a map. And, and someone sat down and taught me so that as I hike, I don't get lost. Um, but we also have technology. And, and I love the GPS, the Global Positioning Satellite. It has saved me here in Huntsville many times over, especially because we have roads that have three or four names. I don't know if you realize that or not. Every three miles, they, there's some of our major roads change names. And I'm like, I was just there, and now it's different, and what, it wasn't in the map, it wasn't in the directions. But we have a GPS. In the story today, we come to the wanderings of Israel, and, and Moses leads them toward the promised land, toward a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and we're going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about their wandering and their wandering, and you'll figure those two out as we go. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that... That we have examples of, of leadership and your servant Moses. I thank you that we have um, examples of how we should have a, a heart of gratitude towards the things you provide for us. I thank you that, that through your story, through your word, uh, we, we have everything we need from you to us uh, as far as the knowledge we need to, to be a reflection of you. I thank you that, that your word promises us things like forgiveness and and grace and that you will always be there and that you won't forsake us that you will provide for our needs and and i pray that 
as you provide for our needs, we won't confuse needs and wants. I pray that as you provide for our needs, we'll, we'll always be grateful uh, for that provision. Uh, and I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, how many people like to go on a road trip? You just raise your hand real quick. I love to travel. I love to go places. I like coming home, but I like to travel. I like to be out and about. You know, if you know that your destination is an amazing place, it makes the journey a little easier. For example, a road trip to Florida is just a few hours away when you're headed to the Emerald Coast for a little vacation, right? Oh, it's, it's just, you know, it's just destined, just a few hours. But when you have to drive to Birmingham for a doctor's appointment, that's like the longest journey ever. Oh, we got to get up and we got to drive all the way to Birmingham and then we're going to sit and we're going to be in the office. It just takes forever. You know, and, and, and the same thing, something I've learned about people and, and journeys and stuff like that is, is no matter how good we have it, we still like to complain about trips, even when you're excited about the trip. We complain about the security line at the airport. We complain about the long flight time. We complain, even though it would take driving, would take like a day and a half to get there and the flight is like two hours. Doesn't matter. We're complaining. The seats are too small. The luggage is too big. The fellow travelers around you are too annoying. You know, we complain about everything sometimes. And when we do that, we miss some of the best parts of the journey, just like the nation of Israel. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be mostly in Numbers chapter 11 and 12, and we're going to see how Israel complains to Moses about their journey. Um, But first, they also complain about some of the general hardships of the trip. And uh, in your story Bible, that's going to be on page 71. So if you have your story Bible, we're on page 71 right at the bottom. And if you have your regular Bible, it's going to be on uh, Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse 1. So here we go. Now the people complained about their hardships in the, in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. First off, in case you're wondering, the hearing of the Lord is, is pretty much if you open your mouth or have a thought, he hears it. Okay, so it wasn't like they went to him and said something. It's just they were grumbling and complaining, and, and he, got, he got it. Okay. So his anger was aroused, then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Now, you would think, once again, using the spiritual gift of hindsight that the Israelites should have had at this point in their journey, that that they would remember how God delivered them from slavery. You would think that he remembered that they would remember, you know, God brought them away from Pharaoh who who killed their babies and and beat them and had them imprisoned as slaves and and but they how could they forget those hardships? How how could they forget that stuff? Now I'm not saying that life traveling through the desert is easy, okay? I'm not saying it wasn't hot. I'm not saying that they weren't thirsty that that maybe there wasn't sand, you know, in their belly button or something. I'm sure it was tough. But they were free people. Nobody was beating them with a whip. You're not making bricks with no straw. You're, you're no longer just a free labor force for Pharaoh. You're being taken to a land that is plentiful. You've been told by God, I'm taking you to, to a place that's flowing with milk and honey. You know where you're going. Israel, just that knowledge of knowing where you're going should make this trip through the desert a little bit more bearable. But they complained about their hardship. And God disciplines them with fire. Now, now, here's another thing I know about deserts. You don't want your stuff to catch on fire in a desert. 
Okay, deserts don't typically have an abundance of water. All right, so so God's got fire going on the outskirts of the camp just to kind of get their attention, and 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 you would think at this point He has their undivided attention, but then listen to this: that wasn't enough. They keep complaining. All right, Numbers chapter eleven, starting with verse four. My Bible's upside down, um, or on page seventy-two if you're in your study Bibles. Now listen to this: the rabble with them. That would be the less than average Israelites. The, the rabble with them. I didn't realize rabble was an official biblical term, but I like it. Uh, and so um, <laughs> they began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. Uh, wailing is a whole other level of complaining, in case you're wondering. Parents, it, it, those of you who have had kids or grandchildren, you understand the difference between like whining and complaining and then wailing, Okay. These are grown people, and they're wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. Well, good. Problem solved. (laughs) We never see anything but this manna. What? Did you hear that? First of all, verse 5. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. And then they list all these other free good foods that they ate. It's funny how they look back at our... We do this. We look back at our past lives. We seem to forget that our sin had a cost. These people were slaves to a cruel master. Like I said, they killed their baby boys and, and was harsh to them. And yet when they get hungry in the desert, even though God's feeding them, they, they long for this free food. We do the same thing with Satan. We we get bold in our lives. We think, I got this Christianity thing going pretty well. I'm doing good. We kind of get sure of ourselves. And we look back at our past like it was glamorous. We were slaves to our sin and Satan is our taskmaster. He doesn't care for us. We're not valuable to him. But so often we look back at our sin. We look back at a past life and we look at those mistakes with a longing and a comfort just like the Israelites did. The reality is God is providing what we need right here and now, just like he provided manna from heaven for them. But far too often we throw his manna back in his face. We go running back to Satan for a temporary filling of the very thing that separates us from God. You know what? God hears our cries too. He hears our wailings. And he provides. I think we can learn from the Israelites a little bit of something called humility though, because they didn't really have it. They got a little ugly as they're asking for something different. Let's look at what God's response to their request is. We're picking up at at the bottom of page 72 in your story Bibles or verse 18. It goes like this. God says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days before a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. <laughs> God said that. And you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? God says, Oh, you thought it was better in Egypt. The, the free good food was better than the manna that I offer you. And it's not satisfying. What I offer you isn't satisfying. You think you need meat? Okay. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp. 
Anybody have an idea how deep two cubits is? Holler it out. Three feet. Quail this deep. Oh, yeah. And, and it was three feet deep and as far as a day's walk in any direction from the camp. That's a camp of three, three million people. That's a lot of quail. All that day and night, all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Anybody know what a homer is? And not Simpson. In case you're wondering. Ten homers of quail, it's really not that much. It's only about one and three-quarter ton of quail. One and three-quarter ton of quail. That's what my study showed me. That's a lot. I know I'm one to exaggerate, but... uh, (laughs) A ton of one and three quarter ton of quail. Again, that's a lot of quail. And they spread them out all around the camp. You talk about you will have meat until it runs out your nose. I can't help it. it. Verse 33 says, but while the meat was still between their teeth, they're loving it. They're cooking it. They're eating it. They're still gnawing on it. He says, while it was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. How's that meat looking now? <laughs> Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatavah because there they buried the people who had craved other food. That was those, those rabblers, those, those, those folks at the beginning. Now, you may be thinking, that's awful harsh, Lord. Why would you do that? They just wanted some meat. I say, remember this. God tells us that his grace is sufficient. God tells us that he will provide for our needs. I don't think it was the request for meat that got them in trouble. I think it was the way they asked for it. Much like us today, Israel was having a heart issue with God. It wasn't, dear Lord, if you find it fit, please, we would love some meat, a little protein for the diet. They were complaining against him. They weren't hearing about his love and his grace. They they weren't seeing it, even though they were living it out. He's delivered them. He's protecting them. He's got a, a pillar of fire. During this whole time, there's still a pillar of fire and a pillar of a cloud that's, that's around them. He's got this. But even today, he tells us his son is the bread of life. He tells us to have no other gods, and he means it. All of it. He told Israel, walk before me, keep my commands, and I will take care of you. And every time we turn around, Israel is doing something dumb against the Lord or against Moses. And, and, and it wasn't just the, 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 the people. It seems that it even would creep in among Moses' co-leaders as well. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 12 now, and we're going to see where Miriam and Aaron begin to complain about Moses being the driver of this bus. Let's, uh, it's on the bottom of page 73 in your uh, story Bible, Numbers uh, chapter 12, verse 1. It starts out like this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this once again. You know, he's hearing it. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. The Lord came down in a pillar of the, excuse me, in a pillar of cloud, he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. 
When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold this against us, the sin we have so foolishly committed. Moses is gracious. It goes on to tell us that he cried out to the Lord. But the Lord said to her, you know, if her father had spit in her face, she would have been a disgrace for seven days. Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back in. Listen, God told Aaron and Miriam, I talk to Moses. You see, they're having this little I am moment with God, kind of like Moses did on the mountain with the burning bush. Who's this Moses? Why are we listening to him? Why does Moses get to boss us around? Why is he in charge? God's spoken to us. Why can't we be in charge? And God's like, hey, hey, I speak to Moses. Why are you not afraid to talk about him? Shame on you. They this little moment, and, and, and they, they forgot that while they're following Moses, they're really following the Lord, or they should be. There's a powerful lesson for all of us here. Sometimes we get caught up in following the mouthpiece of the Lord instead of following the Lord. And, and let me just tell you, there are a lot of self-proclaimed mouthpieces for the Lord. You don't have to look far today to find one. Pick a TV channel on Sunday. It's pretty simple. Many books at the Christian bookstore are authored by the self-proclaimed mouthpiece of the Lord. And before you get too excited, let me just say, I'm not getting all crazy on Christian speakers and authors and artists. I'm sure most of them are good people. All I'm saying is it's it's been many years since God spoke face-to-face with someone, Moses. And even after Moses, most of his prophets he spoke to through, through visions and through dreams. It's been a long time since God has spoke face to face with someone. So we need to be careful who we read or when we read or listen to the opinions of man. And we need to balance it out with what God's word says. You see, when we follow the mouthpiece, which is what Aaron and Miriam were doing, they were following Moses and they started to get jealous about things. Well, why Moses? Why Moses? Why Moses? Because God said so. And when we, when we follow the mouthpiece, when we get distracted by, by some of the glamour of people proclaiming God's word, we forget that the way we live our lives on the journey to heaven needs to be, the, be focused on God's plan rather than on our own distractions. That's what happened with Aaron and Miriam. They're following Moses. They knew where they were going, but they really were just following Moses. They weren't fully trusting God to use Moses to get him there. You see, when we forget who we're following, we end up taking wrong turns. And it wasn't just Aaron and Miriam. All of Israel takes this dangerous wrong turn at a place called Kadesh Barnea. You're going to read about it this week in your story Bible. Um, it's also found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. But, but here's the place where Moses sends out the 12 spies. Remember the 12 spies? Ten were bad, two were good. Okay. He sends them out. They're sent out to survey the promised land. And when they return, 10 spies report about an abundance of the land But they also report about the giants who live there. And they conclude, we cannot take the land. Two spies report the same thing. But their conclusion was, because God is with us, we can take the land. And even after Moses urges the people to trust God and to take the land, the people of Israel, they rebel. They refuse to obey. 
they're seeing only Moses here. They were focused on following man and not on following God. And because of that, they forgot that God was leading them. And they forgot where God was leading them. They forgot about their destination for a moment. This wrong turn, as I said, it takes place at Kadesh Barnea, which is located right on the edge of the promised land. They are knocking on the gate, if you will. They are there. God has brought them to the promised land. Moses brought them to the promised land, just like he said he would. But their fear kept them from trusting God. Their fear kept them from seeing the promised land. Moses reports God's do, this heavy-duty judgment on the people of Israel's lack of faith in Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 through 34. Because of Israel's lack of trust in God and their disobedience to God, he creates the 40-year detour. Your detour was just a few seconds. Just, just come around to the front. That was it. Just come around. And you didn't even do anything wrong. You just came to church. But I was like, what, what's a good illustration for wandering? We came with a purpose. We came to worship. And now John sent us around to the front of the building. What's going on? I heard some great questions. Why? I heard a lot of whys. I heard a few people say, well, that's silly. Can't walk through the normal door. I heard somebody say, I don't know. John's doing this. <laughs> First rule of leadership. It's all my fault. <laughs> Listen. Israel's lack of trust in God, and he causes a 40-year detour. Even the children are punished for their parents' disobedience. God says everyone who was 20 years or older was told they would wander in the desert until the last one of them died out there. And then God would deliver everybody else to the promised land. What does that mean for us? Parents, I'll tell you, it means that what we do now affects our children. Don't ever, ever forget that. Don't be like the Israelites who finally, after 40 years of wandering, end up where they began. They were there, but they didn't have the faith to follow through. They let the world that was theirs at the time, they let that world of giants scare them away, make them lose focus. And so God caused them to wander for 40 years just so they could end up right back where they started from. There's a warning here for leaders as well. We must trust in God and lead well. Because there was a time during that wandering where in front of the people of Israel, Moses failed to trust God. It was that time he was told to speak to the rock and that it would, it would produce water. And instead, out of anger, he struck the rock. And as a result of his disobedience, he was, not, he was allowed to see the promised land, but he was not allowed to go into the promised land. He brought the people right up to it. In Deuteronomy 34, Moses tells the people that they have a fresh opportunity to trust and obey God. He encourages them to use their GPS, if you will, from here on out there. They're God's positioning system, not the global positioning system. But he tells them, hey, I, I'm not going. You follow God. He tells the people, when you follow God, you're not alone. God is with you. I want to tell you that same thing today. No more wondering if God is real or if God is out there or if God even cares about you. Because the answer to those questions is simply yes. Yes, he is real. Yes, he is out there. Yes, he cares about you. And because of that answer, you, are no, you no longer have to wander about in your sin. Brothers and sisters, as we go through life as Christians, you are the driver of the car, so to speak. And whether you want them to or not, people will follow you. You will produce fruit of some sort. People will follow you where you go. And on this road trip called life, I want you to consider making a covenant with our local community here at Huntsville Christian Church. I want you to make, to make this covenant to trust and obey God, knowing that God will never lead you into a wrong turn. 
Just so you know, our elders and our ministers, we've made this a focal point of, of prayer as we meet together, that God will lead us and that we will follow him well. And, and no, God is not speaking to us directly like he did with Moses, but we have his words. And we're committed to examining his word and making sure that the things we do here are according to the standards and the examples he has given us in his, in his word. Amen. My prayer is that, that you too will trust and obey God. We've heard the voice of God through Moses and through his word, and we will choose to follow and obey it here. As we come to our response time today, I would like for you to consider what that looks like for you personally. Will you make a covenant with the Lord today to follow and obey him? For you, that covenant, maybe it begins with baptism, with with dying to yourself, making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe for you today is that day where, where you renew that covenant with the Lord. Maybe it's time for repentance for rededication, asking God to restore you so that you can be the reflection of him that you started out to be. Maybe you've been wandering a little bit. You've kind of fallen off course. Maybe your covenant today is to partner with Huntsville Christian Church as we move forward to impact our community for the Lord and to be his hands and feet. Whatever your response is today, will you stand and sing with us and respond to our Lord? Today's a good day to accept the fact that you are a Christian on this journey or excuse me, that if you are a Christian on this journey, you are called to lead others to Christ. And they're going to follow you somewhere. Will you sing with us? It's been great to worship with you all today, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, I want to challenge you to live your story in a way that shows God you will obey Him. Live your story by choosing to travel toward God and His destination for you and to bring as many people with you as you can. I want to challenge you to read your story Bible this week and take the story group discussions deeper into your life this week. Remember, the goal of this year is not just that as a church, we go, we go to story groups and we read through the Bible in a year or we read through the story Bible just to do it. The goal is that we will find it in ourselves to go out and live the story and to tell others about our amazing God. Have a great week.